1: we're not taking this responsibility seriously. Um, NATO will be uh, equally uh, disappointed and bewildered uh, by this. Um, And, you know, it it just, it just sadly reinforces um, what has been a continuously eroding uh, reputation uh, on the world stage uh, for us as as a reliable partner. And uh, I think that that, that is, is going to
0: haunt us. That's the voice of uh, former Vice Admiral Mark Norman, who uh, chatted with uh, Roy Green over the weekend about this announcement Friday that our defense budget will be cut by a billion dollars. And this coming, uh, you know, just after telling our allies that have been putting a, you know, a lot of pressure on us that we would spend more and, of course, it comes after stories that have been surfacing that our military over, you know, training overseas right now near Ukraine, they don't even have the right equipment. It's so old and outdated they have had to buy their own equipment, buy their own lunch and food. And last March of 2022, General Air, um, who's got to deal with this as he leads our military, um, he said in March of 2022 that – what keeps him up at night is our military preparedness. And no wonder we're not prepared at all. We have no weapons, and we don't even have enough troops right now. So how do you take a billion dollars out of the budget at a time when we actually need more? Richard chamuka defense expert and senior fellow over at the MacDonald-Laurier Institute, maybe he can explain the unexplainable. Good to have you, Richard. Thanks for having me. The thing about defense is it's the easiest thing to cut, right? Because you never think you're going to need defense until you need defense. And then you're really screwed.
1: Basically, Uh, it's a bit of a way that a lot of people talk about. It's like an insurance policy. Uh, You can just not pay your insurance. I mean, that's one option. But I mean, when it comes to you actually need it, uh, you don't have it. Right. Uh, But I would also say that I think one way that I've sort of explained it to people is that our allies notice and our allies have policy. They have same political systems and. If they see us not paying for defense, they're not going to give us deals. They're not going to make trade deals or, or sort of help us out on our other issues when we need them. And that sort of transactional relationship is in pretty dire straits between us and our closest allies. I think that when we look at some of the stuff that's going on with India, you know, India is a country that Canada needs. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, the, the West has been courting in order to sort of stamp against China. Uh, you know, when this, uh, when the assassination occurred or the alleged assassination, I should say, most of our allies made pretty tepid statements of support. They, they sort of say, well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll help you. And, and that's, that's the places where you see that Canada's lack of spending or a lack of interest in this area really to show that, that in sort of geopolitics, which is becoming more and more important today, as we see Russia and China sort of push their ambitions, it's, We're just left in the cold and and we're really having an issue going forward.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, our Five Eye allies have made no secret about um, our vulnerabilities and our, you know, our problems and that we are now a weakness to our Five Eye allies, which is why we are now getting cut out of, uh, you know, certain deals. And so the question becomes, you know, could Canada, which was very instrumental in the creation of NATO, could we get kicked out? You know, they're not going to keep us around so that we can look good. And we have been riding on the coattails of our, our neighbors for a good long time. But you can only do that for so long. And once Russia entered Ukraine, the whole world changed. And so instead of cutting, you know, you got Poland, all these other countries are putting more money in. Um, you know, and I'm sure it didn't go unnoticed, but we're going in the opposite direction. And and again You know, we had the change in leadership. You had Bill Blair take over from Anita Anand. You know, the rumor was that Anita Anand wanted to put more money in and Bill Blair was brought in, you know, to cut more out. And lo and behold, he's announced cuts.
1: Absolutely. So uh, I think there's a lot of things to unpack there. Uh, Certainly, I don't think we'll ever get kicked out of NATO. There's a couple of laggers in NATO as well. We're certainly seen as the largest one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you watch how Germany is basically... Nearly doubled their spending. Uh, if you look at even outside of NATO, if you look at Japan and South Korea, they've significantly increased their their defense spending. So among within, for lack of a better word, the Western world, countries that have sort of liberal democracies, were seen as a laggard. And, and we we just made a commitment this spring to hit two percent, and right off the bat, we are reneging on it. And uh, that that seems all well and good, but I think when you actually understand. Just how poor the state of the Canadian Armed Forces is. Just the the aging equipment, the the morale which is somewhat tied to that. If you're a professional, like let's say you're a doctor or whatever, you want to have the best equipment or best like sort of stuff to sort of do your job. Leadership doesn't provide that to you. It makes it really hard to be positive about what you do. And I talk quite a bit to Canadian Forces members. They look around and they see a system that is in severe trouble, right? We, we've delayed on modernization a lot of equipment, and even the stuff that we've agreed to buy, like the F-35 or the Canadian Service Combat, which will re- replace the Halifax, they're delayed, and they don't even have the people in order to do this transition. So a lot of the things that are down the pipeline, they're not even positive they're gonna get in any yeah. time soon because it, there's, there's just trouble. The, the red lights are flashing all across the board.
0: Right, because we get the headlines, and I think Canadians assume, okay, we've ordered jets and we've ordered all this stuff. Well, great, we should have ordered the jets back when Harper announced them, <laughs> and you know the Liberals canceled, and now they're ordering the exact same jets for the much more expensive cost, and we're not going to have them anytime soon. Um, you know, we get the headlines. Get we just, quickly. Let, yeah. me just, let
1: me just get out. That, that, that six-year delay really, really caused so much issues, because at the time, when had, had it gone through it in 2012 or 2014, you would have had an easier transition because you had a lot of pilots in the system, a lot of um, a lot of maintainers. But because so many pods were so upset with what happened, they thought we're going to be flying an aircraft into its 50th year of yeah. operations, which is obsolete. Now we don't have the pods and they came and do the transition effectively. So, I, I mean, people say, oh, well, at least they got to the right decision. Yeah, but it wrecked yeah. the, the RCAF. That we yeah. really even have trouble just maintaining our basic duties to protect Canada. Not, not talking about stuff that's going on, you know, in, in Europe or Pacific.
0: Not, not to mention, who would want to be... I mean, recruits way down. I think we're 12, 13,000 short of where we need to be. But who would sign up? Um, you know, like once upon a time, these were discussed in high schools of, you know, maybe you could serve your country. People would say, okay, yeah, because that was when Canada was punching above its weight. But who would sign up today... Given, you know, our, def- our, our military is basically treated like a just an afterthought.
1: I think it's tough. Uh, I think that where you actually see it now is, is actually retention. Now, there's been this year that they, they've got to the quote unquote historical norms of retention. But people are just they'll they'll join in. A lot of people have that same belief. they like, oh, I got to help the country, you know, and I and, it, and frankly, working for the CAF is actually pays well and yeah. does has good benefits, but then they actually get into the service and they see these issues. And a lot of people just quit and, and quit early. And so you got to think of like the military in some ways, this kind of ball of knowledge and experience and how to do things correctly. Like in the sense, like there's a lot of like technology, it's a really cutting edge sort of field in a lot of cases. And how do you maintain stuff, right? And the more and more you lose those people, the more you lose that sort of that wealth of knowledge. You get it gets harder and harder to maintain the military and operate. And that's what we're facing today: is, is that a lot of the core capacities, the people who actually have to operate it, they are overworked. They kind of re, it's kind of a despot where they get overworked. They lose they lose confidence and they leave, and it puts more and more stress on the remaining people who then start leaving themselves and and. That's what we're facing across the forces. that, yes, we're down 10%. In a lot of cases, we're down 30%, 50% in some really key areas that, that are required to fight as a cutting-edge force, and that's a real challenge.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty way of putting it. Well, let's stay tuned and see what uh, fallout comes from our allies, because I'm sure they're talking. I very much appreciate it. Richard, we'll talk again. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. There's Richard uh, Shamuka. So, yeah, there'll be fallout on this. Um, Maybe our allies have just shrugged their shoulders and given up, but that was the last headline they needed to see.